Please remain standing as you're able out of respect for the gospel of Christ. But as we prepare to read this verse, this verse is a summary of the experience of the 12 disciples who found themselves chosen by Christ and then called to be with them and then commissioned to go out in the world. And their journey is a journey that we will parallel over the next eight weeks together. And as we take this journey together, our journey has three parts. It has the Sunday morning sermons here and in New Heights from October, I mean, through October 29th, starting today. It has a DVD component for small groups and uh, Sunday school classes. And then there are daily readings, which are Monday through Friday. They're in the blue sheet that you found as an insert. If you lose it or, or misplace it, don't worry. They can be also accessed on the Internet as well. Now hear these words. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them those he wanted. And they came to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Perhaps it's an understatement, but I love what John Eldridge says. He says, Helen of Troy must have really been something. Can you imagine a face, an image that launched a thousand ships that caused one kingdom to declare war on another as they pursued her? Now, her experience of pursuit has not typically been my experience or probably yours as well. Rarely do people come after us with that sort of energy and and want us to be theirs. Every once in a while, I guess we get a glimpse of her experience. Maybe when we were growing up, somebody actually did dance with us when we asked them. Maybe on a rare occasion, we really did get picked for a team and it wasn't last. Maybe we even got a note slipped to us in junior high school and we opened it. You may remember it would say, do you like me? And it would give you two boxes to check. Yes. No. You know, every once in a while we get a little experience of being pursued like that. But by and large, not much of an experience like that. Most of the time, our experience is like that of the first 12 disciples of Jesus. They were called by Jesus only because they had been rejected by everybody else. When people played Red Rover, those first 12 disciples were never called over. If notes uh, were ever sent by them to another person, do you like me? Yes and no. More than likely, the first disciples would have received one back with a third box check, maybe. And the disciples lived in that land of maybe. And I think sometimes we live there as well. You see, if they had been picked by any other rabbi, they would not have been available to Jesus. And just as it's probably most every Texas boy's dream to play Friday night lights football, every boy who grew up in the Sea of Galilee area would desire to be chosen by a leading rabbi who would want to become a part of a famous rabbi's team. And the fact that those 12 disciples were still available meant that they had never been chosen. Or maybe they were chosen and later cut loose. To borrow NFL terms, since the season starts today, those first 12 that Jesus picked had either gone undrafted or they'd been cut early. They had been rejected, living in a land of maybe. And then one day, one day, the greatest rabbi of all, the greatest human being who ever lived, comes by and invites them to his team. A great yes in this land of maybe. But it must have gone through their heads. Does he really want us? And 
if we join him, will he really let us stay? You see, I think the first disciples must have felt that what we feel a lot of times, which is we know God loves us, but we're not really sure he likes us. I mean, we know that he loves us because, right, that's part of the deal being God. I mean, you have to love everybody. That's God. But does he really like us? I was first put onto this on a radio show some years ago when the author of the prayer of Jabez was being interviewed. And Bruce Wilkinson offered the point that most of us believe that God loves us, but very few believe that God likes us. In other words, Jesus kind of knows we're out there in general, but he'd never really want us on his team. Father Brennan Manning uh, echoes this in a quote that you can find in your bulletin this morning. He says this, In a moment of naked honesty, ask yourself, Do I wholeheartedly trust God likes me? Not loves me because theologically God has to love us. And do I trust that God likes me not after I clean up my act and eliminate every trace of sin, selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love? Not after I develop a disciplined prayer life and spend 10 years in Calcutta with Mother Teresa's missionaries. But in this moment, right now, right here, with all my faults and weaknesses, would Jesus really want me? I think that's a fair question. And it's a good question. Because I think deep down all of us want to be picked. We want to be valued. We want to be loved. But yet we live with that fear that if we ever got picked... The people who picked us would find out what we're really like and they wouldn't want us. We might have the same experience that the comedian George Goebel had. You may remember him from years ago. He's on all those milk commercials. One night he was on Johnny Carson show. And so he came up to uh, Johnny Carson. Johnny said, how are you, George? And George got kind of a downcast look and said, Johnny, have you ever felt like the world was a tuxedo and you were a pair of brown shoes? I think, you know, we'd get that sense that that they would try us on and we wouldn't be right. That the great director that stages the world's play, when we go on stage, would yell, Cut! This one's not right for the part. And some big hook might yank us off. I think deep down we sense that if Jesus really knew us, he wouldn't like us. If other people really knew us, they wouldn't like us. And so... One of the things that happens because we believe that is we go through a lot of effort to make ourselves likable, to make ourselves valuable, to make ourselves wanted by somebody. And, And we begin like a chameleon to try to take the appearance of the people that seem most in our vicinity so we can be like them and be appreciated by them. Christian writer Frederick Buechner puts it this way, because we doubt our original shimmering self, Which is another way of saying we doubt that really when God looked at us like God looked at creation and said this is very good. We doubt that God really says that about us. Then we go through all sorts of changes. So we appear good to someone. And he said we start to change selves as often as people change hats and coats with the weather. Always hoping we'll fit somewhere, somehow, into somebody's scheme. That somebody really will like us and then what happens if they do like us we've changed ourselves so many times we've lost who we really were and who we're made to be then we can't ever believe we were accepted in love for who we really were we've put on so many masks we can't remember which one was the right one which would anyone really like me just as i am i wonder if the disciples 
ask themselves that because by the very fact that they were standing there for Jesus to call, they'd been rejected by others. I know I'd ask myself that. Would he really like me and want me? And what happens is if my answer is no, then my troubles don't end there with that answer. They just begin. They get worse. I came across this quote. This is really incredible. As a woman, uh, Dr. Karen Horney, H-O-R-N-E-Y, who in the 1930s and 40s was one of the leading researchers into neurosis and neurotic behavior. And this is what she said. This is a social scientist, not a, not a pastor. This is what she said. Anybody who believes that he must be more than he is will, to be somebody will never be anybody. Anybody who believes that she must be more than she is to be somebody will never be anybody. If you cannot accept yourself as valued, loved, wanted, and likable just the way you are now, there ain't nothing you can do that's going to change that. Because all the changes you make, all the masks you put on, you'll still wonder. But at my deepest core, I'm not really likable. Nothing fixes that. And then it gets worse. We don't accept that it gets worse. She makes this interesting observation. She says, it is this doubt of yourself expressed in feelings of inferiority and inadequacy which lies at the root of all human maladjustment and psychopathology. I'll run that by you again. All the destruction that we do our lives and do to the lives of other people, she says, comes from the fact that we really don't accept that we're loved. We really don't accept that we're valuable, that we're wanted and liked. And so we lash out in ways that are harmful to ourselves and to the world around us. When we send out the note to the world, do you like me? And we get a maybe. Our responses usually aren't very healthy. And that's too bad. And that's too bad because for 2,000 years, the answer has been the same. I like you. I want you. You're valuable to me. And I think uh, Roger Lind hit on it with the children. There are really two kinds of love in the world. One kind of love looks for things that are valuable and finds things that are valuable and worthwhile to love. And, And so maybe they find a sports star is really good and so they begin to attach themselves to that sports star and follow his or or her career, they're so, they're so valuable that we'll love them. Or they find a person who does good and right things for them and, and they're attracted to them. There's a kind of love that depends on the value of the person loved. But then there's another kind of love which by its very nature bestows value on the one who's loved. Or as Mr. Lynn told the children... I love my son not because he can do this or say this or is this kind of person. I love him because he is. That's a love that creates value, not a love that looks for value. And what you and I have to understand is that God's love and liking of us is a love that creates value. Because God likes me, I'm valuable. Because I'm wanted, I'm somebody and there's nothing I can do to change that. I either accept it or I don't. You see, the fact of the matter is a thousand ships were sent off after Helen of Troy. But what was sent out after you? 
when you wandered away from the one who wants you as you are, who was sent after you? None other than the Son of God who was launched across time and space and eternity from heaven to earth in pursuit of you. The reality is you can't get any more valuable than you are. You can't get any more liked than you already are. You don't need to do anything in addition to that. See, sometimes I think we look at ourselves and we look maybe beneath ourselves and we don't like what we see. And we, we tend to think that the graffitied self we see that's kind of been drawn over and stomped over through the years is what God sees. But that's not what God sees at all. I've never been to the Parthenon or the Colosseum in Rome or the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I have been to the Library of Celsus in Ephesus, which is a 2,000-year-old structure, which is still looking pretty good today. But in its day before the scarring of time and the scarring of war, the scarring of many hurts came upon it. It was the most impressive building of its day. And if someone took the time and the energy and the effort, it could be impressive like that again. And I think that's what God sees when God looks at me. God doesn't look at some old graffitied wall, but God looks at something as beautiful as the Temple of Solomon and says, you know, I can reverse the effects of time. I can reverse the graffiti that's been placed on these walls. I can clean this up, not in order to love this person, but because I love this person. God looks at me and doesn't see pond scum. God looks at me and sees the Parthenon, sees the Hanging Gardens. God sees in me such exquisite beauty that with some time and care can be recovered again. The fact of the matter is I am valued, I am loved, and I'm liked. If you ask yourself the question, does God really like me? Does God ever think about me? Answer it by turning to the 139th Psalm, verse 17. This is interesting. One of the translations goes like this. God, how wonderful are the thoughts you have concerning me. They're so vast, I can't count them all. Put another way, how often does God think about you? More often than you think about yourself. How much does God like you? More than you could ever like yourself. And God wants desperately for you to be with him. God wants desperately for you to hear the only opinion about you that ever matters so you won't have to go changing yourself for everyone around you. Brennan Branding tells a a parable, surely it's not true, of a couple. One lived in Wisconsin, one lived in Lakeland, Florida. They were engaged. Well, the guy in Wisconsin entered the, the Midwest Powerball. He won 110 million bucks in August. Uh, So the first thing he did was fly down to tell his fiancée and bring her back so they could start making some really big plans. And they started making big plans, but the Brewers were in a pennant race. They had to pay attention to that. Wisconsin football was about to kick off. looked like they might go to the Rose Bowl. They had to be attentive to that. And, And there was always the Packers season tickets that he had. They had to follow them. And by the time the football playoffs ended, they still hadn't cashed in the ticket. So they went to cash it in. 
And they were too late because you only have 180 days to collect. And the people around them thought they were complete idiots. Chasing after this, that, and the other when they had hit the jackpot and they wouldn't even bother to take the time to collect it. Now, what would people think about us who have been called likable by the most important and greatest person who ever lived and yet we chase around for somebody else's opinion? 